Welcome to the Author Blur Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Maynard. You can find me at authorblurb.com. You can find my books at eamaynard.com. And you can find all these authors, including Richard Howitt, who comes on the show at the profile sheet or the author list at authorblurb.com. Now, first off, thank you as always for being here. If this is your first time, welcome. I hope you find authors that I'm introducing here that interest you, that brings out new books that you want to learn about and want to read and hopefully share as well. So the only thing I ever ask is you share this show with people, you share the books you find from these authors with people, and you feel free to let me know what you think. Other than that, enjoy the show is really all I want. So today I speak with Richard Howitt and we go through discussing his five books that he has, how the fact of he wrote them all while he was in Central Asia, the ties that he found between the religions and even the fact of he has a running theory that seems to be showing some promise with the lost tribe or the Jewish lost tribe or forgive me. I'm horrible about some of this stuff, but it's becoming quite understanding quite picked up and from how it sounds it's becoming something that people are really looking into and finding information behind to use in favor of his theory there i'm personally right now reading his book come home and you'll hear me mention it unfortunately i'm reading it very slowly just because i have two kids a one-year-old and a almost five-year-old and well, anybody with kids know well enough, they take a lot of time. I love spending it with them, but sometimes you pick and choose what you're going to do. And, well, I enjoy my kids most times. <laughs> but anyways, enjoy the show. Listen to Richard and I have a pretty good discussion about his books. He goes into great details. It's a adventure listening to him talk. So... Thank you, and let's get to the show right now. So I'm here with Richard Hewitt. Richard's an author of five books. I'm reading one of the books now, and if my kids give me a break at some time, I might actually finish it soon. But Richard, I appreciate you coming on. I'm enjoying your book right now so far, Coming Home. If you can help me out, I want people to get to know a bit more about you, about your books, and what's going on with you. Can you tell everybody about yourself? Yes, I was um, born in Santa Monica, California, grew up here, and um, had really an experience with God that um, was through scripture. I call the book the script instead of the Bible, but um, and was very, very attracted to it, not within a religious context or a, a church or synagogue, but just a kind of a grassroots theology or hunger, I guess I should call it that, and, and develop my own theology from what I was reading. And um, and that really kind of kind of uh, defined my life and defines who I am to this day. I ended up going to UC Santa Barbara for college. And, and for me, it was at that time, it was a wild party college. But for me, it was like a seminary because I was just learning how to put into practice the things I was I was reading and 
and uh, meet this invisible God that we can't see or touch, but um, felt like he was always present. And and then um, in 19, that was, I went to college in 1984 and I started feeling this call actually. It was a time where I was studying chemistry in, in the library at the university. And I put down, uh, closed the university book, opened my Bible, started reading from Luke and um, was just so impressed by by God and God's love. Walked around the library and, and while I was doing that, I was in a state of prayer and I walked by a map of the world and and um, the the mountains of Central Asia kind of just jumped out and grabbed my heart and pulled me in. And so in, in uh, 1994, I, I got married after college. In 1994, my wife and I moved over to Kyrgyzstan and um, and I've, I've lived there for 20 years. I, so after that, after the mountains grabbed my heart and uh, kind of pulled me in, I just knew I needed to go. I dropped out of university at that time. That was 1987. And the Soviet Union, the mountains really that were that grabbed my heart were the Tian Shan and Pamir Mountains, which are part of the Soviet Union or were part of the Soviet Union at that time. And I couldn't get in. I couldn't get into Iran or Afghanistan. And I ended up going to northern Pakistan um, and meeting some of just the Central Asians, uh, the minority groups that lived there. It was an amazing time for me just to, again, step out in faith and not really see or know where my foot was going to land, but get caught again and again by by God and God's goodness. And it was an absolutely amazing trip. I was on the border between Pakistan and Afghanistan, met the Mujahideen at that time. I was, <laughs> and um, again, you know, we, we can look at them through the eyes of the media or we could look at them as people. And one of the things that happened to me while I was there, I walked by a, a man that was weeping at the gravesite, a, a small gravesite. So it was obviously a child who had been buried. And I went up to uh, meet some villagers, some friends that I'd met. And um, several hours later, I came back and the man was in the same position, still weeping over this child. And um, it hit me, just hit me how much he was like me and how he, his humanity has really struck me and um, I really developed a, a heart and I could say a love for Central Asians while I was in Pakistan. Um, in 91, so a few years later, the Soviet Union fell apart and mm -hmm. I went and moved over to Kyrgyzstan, a small mountain country in 1994, was there until um, 2013, so almost 20 years. Okay. So while you're there, were you just starting to write your book? Because I know you have five books total. And or did you, I guess, when did you actually start writing or what got you into the writing to get the stories out? Well, I, I'm actually dyslexic and I mm -hmm. don't consider myself very intelligent or scholastic. Um and I, I really couldn't comprehend English in my in my high school classes. I just it was just a beyond me. But when I was in college, I did write an essay and and got an A on it. You know, I was kind of shocked and and um, it was one of those things. I just kind of thought it was like a fluke. But when I was in Kyrgyzstan, I started seeing some beautiful analogies and pictures uh, that that were relatable to the script, again, to the good book. And I started just writing some of them in English 
and I found a translator who translated them into short stories and published them in the local newspaper. And the the name of the the people again were the Kyrgyz people. There they had been nomadic before the Soviet Union, living in yurts in the high mountains. Beautiful, beautiful people, shepherds by um, by nature. Now they've got city and they're much more urbanized. But I started writing, and and this newspaper was called the Kyrgyz Spirit, and it was like the perfect paper to write for. And um, I just wrote some of these analogies, these stories that I saw. Um, communicated uh, really, again, biblical principles or scriptural principles through their nomadic lifestyle, the, through images that they liked, like their flag and their yurt and their, their culture. And, and um, the stories were really, I mean, people really liked them or really hated them. <laughs> Nothing in between. Right. And I actually, after about this fifth or sixth story, I... Um, uh, the editor of the paper was forced to kind of kick me off the, the staff, and um, he and I remain friends to this day. But he he just the pressure from the the loud minority, I'll call them mm-hmm. that. The Kyrgyz people are are Muslim and wonderful Muslim people, but there's a, a kind of a loud um, small extremist element that won't allow for for anything beyond what they they see the way they see the world and again that's i don't want to classify the kyrgyz people like that because they're they're wonderful people all right so was coming home your first book that you wrote or what was your first book you know my first book interestingly enough was a child's book and what happened is I'll step back again a few years and say, right before I came to Kyrgyzstan, my aunt knew that I was kind of following this voice of God that I had heard in the library. And and she said to me, she said, why are you going over there? We need people like you here. We've got poor people who need help and, and they've got their own God and why they don't need you. And, and I, I really had to kind of come back to God and just say, you know, God, I'm not going there for to change anyone's religion or not even really going there there to tell them about you or anything i just feel like you're leading me there and i felt like the two words god had put on my heart were were love and listen so it wasn't like proclaim and declare or anything like that so i just um kind of came back to god in prayer with that challenge that my aunt had given me like why are you going over there and i i I actually came to the point where it's like god if if Yeshua, let me call him that, or Jesus is the Messiah, as I'm reading, as I believe from from what I'm reading in the in the script, then then you've got to show it to me um, beyond outside of Christianity and Judaism, and and um, and you've got to show me your book's real and that this is true. And I went over to Kyrgyzstan. The first thing you see when you get off the plane is is the flag, and the flag has this. It's a beautiful flag. It's a red flag with the sun. And in the middle of the sun is this, it's, it's actually the top of their yurt. So I think it, for those of you who don't know what a yurt is, it's like a, it's a nomadic dwelling, kind of like a teepee, except it's made from, from felt instead of skins. And it's instead of kind of having that, that triangular shape, it's got, it's more of a dome, dome shape. And right at the top in the center is the smoke hole where the smoke comes out and, and 
um, I, I learned very quickly that it's kind of the the most holy symbol of in their culture. And so I started asking them, why is this holy to you? And they would say um, things that had these beautiful messianic connections. Like one of the things they said is, it's the light of our world. And Yeshua, Jesus, whoever you want, to, whatever name, Isa, whatever name you want to call him, he says in one place in the book of John, I am the light of the world. So I thought the first time I asked that question, why is this important to you? Why is it on your flag? Why is it so important? They gave me an answer that related directly to, to something Jesus had said about himself. And then the second person I went into the next year and I said, why is this symbol so important to you? And he, he said, well, these, these um, kind of like lattice walls that are the lower part of the earth, he said they represent women and girls in our society. And then the beams that go up to the tunduk, the smoke hole, represent men. And the, the tunduk or the smoke hole at the top represents, represents God or our elder, one of our elders. So, so there's this kind of like God, human, you know, some, some sort of top of society. And again, that's a picture that's painted a couple times in, in Scripture, that the Messiah is the head of the body and, and all of the humans that are, that are part of the community are like different members of the body. So again, that was just another kind of messianic, messianic image that came across really powerfully. And then the third, third time I went into a yurt, again, I, same question, why is this so important to you? I'd learned, the, learned enough of the language by that time that I could ask. And, and the third person, the third owner of the yurt said to me, well, this is the one piece, the, the smoke hole at the top is the one piece that holds the whole yurt together. And without that piece, the whole thing falls to pieces. And, um, and it's true that the tunda at the very top just holds it all together. All the pieces are connected to it. And, and um, again, Jesus, there's a, there's a few comments about Jesus in, in Scripture where he's called the chief cornerstone. And the chief cornerstone in the building is the kind of like the, the piece you set first and all the pieces kind of measured out and connected to that. So, so here I was, and it, as far as you can get from the Judeo-Christian world, and seeing these beautiful symbols of, of the Messiah. And that kind of that question I had with God, like, if this is true, if, he, if, if he's really the Messiah or the Son of God, then I've got to be able to see these in, in cultures that are totally detached and totally different. And I did that right, right from the beginning. I st- that, um, that prayer was answered. So my first book, you asked it back to the question, my first book, my first book was just very simple, like pictures of the yurt and the tunduk with simple little descriptions underneath, maybe sometimes a verse. And I left it on an editor's desk and he didn't have time to look at it for, for several months. And then um, it stayed there. I went and visited him a few times. He didn't do anything with it. And then one day he picked it up and read it and he called me and he said, this is amazing. Um, We've got to publish this. And he published it and it, um, I got a famous author to write the foreword to it and um, in, in Kyrgyzstan and, and it hit the newspapers. And again, this, this loud minority um, put a lot of pressure on the famous author and he uh, made me withdraw his statement. Uh, again, he, I didn't have to do it, but just out of respect for him, I did withdraw it. 
and um, and ever since that book came out, I've had a nemesis. Actually, it was <laughs> I've had a nemesis uh, in Kyrgyzstan. Uh, okay, yeah. from a kid's book. From a kid's book. <laughs> Interesting. Well, so what age group does that kid's book kind of focus on? You know, I I focused it on for kind of like that eight to ten year age, but it it actually it it didn't end up being a kid's book. It ended up being something that um, the nation read at that time. That was in the 1990s. All and right. They, um, yeah, it was it was really interesting. So even though I, I wrote it as a kid's book, it kind of um, hit the, the main audience, main adult audience. All right. And where did you go after that? What was your next book? So what book did I do after that? Then um, <laughs> it's really, really interesting. Then the Kyrgyz have a, a folk religion that predates Islam. And one of the um, one of the big discussions in the country right now is: Are we Muslim or are we followers of Tangut? Tangut would be the name of the um, Tangutism, really the the god of the, that they've had through throughout history. Mm-hmm. And so there's a there's still to this day there's a lot of worshippers of Tangut in in Kyrgyzstan. And Kyrgyz the Kyrgyz mentality and character is such that many people are are kind of followers of both. You, they'll they'll go to the mosque and then they'll go up to the mountain to a to a spring and and pray to Tangid there. So, and their mind it's not hypocritic or anything like that. They're just doing doing their Kyrgyz thing and and, and adopting Islam as it as it gets stronger and stronger. But um, I saw an argument at a party between a um, a strong Muslim and a strong adherent of Tangid Tangidism. And and they were really going at it, and just being me and like you know enjoying talks about God, I I wanted to jump in, and and I felt like God just kind of pushed me back and said don't don't get involved, and so I just watched from a distance. I watched this argument, and and then again in my in in prayer to the Lord, I just said God, where is the connection between these two? They both are are zealous for you they're talking about about you they're both trying to defend you they're not afraid to stand for you where's the middle ground where's the where are you in this in this conversation and and as they were going at it the the man who um, stood for for the tangit belief he had the old traditional kyrgyz hat it's a kind of a hall high hat and there's four lines that kind of go up through the crossing of the at the top in the center and and um, as I, I stood behind him as he, as he was talking, and, um, and I felt like his hat just kind of started to stand out towards me, kind of like the mountains did in the map um, several years um, previous. And, and so I knew, I knew somehow the answer uh, to my question was, it was in the hat, was in the symbolism of the hat. And I was pretty depressed during that time. I remember just kind of like not wanting to get out of bed for two weeks. And, but, but while I was, in in bed thinking about I kept thinking about the hat the symbolism of the hat and I could kind of see these again um, symbols that tied back to the script to the book in some ways and and, um, and one day I just remember um, I felt like the Lord said get up and write and so I just stood up and I wrote this very small booklet it took probably a week or two to write um, again gave it to a translator and editor they put it out and 
again, quite a sensation. And again, my nemesis came against me. <laughs> but that was my second book. And and um, a lot of the characters really liked it a lot because this these symbols are important to them. And they're not just symbols. I'm tying in the, their symbols with the most popular book that's ever been written. And even though they don't claim to have a history to that book, there's so much in it that that they do um, connect with. Like they know as um, adherents of Tengadism and as Muslims, they know about Abraham, Isaac, and Moses. They know about David. They know about um, Isa, Jesus, and um, and many of the others. So so when I write these things and connect their symbols to this this powerful powerful script, um, a lot of them were really really grateful and. Um, I was able to get an audience with some wonderful people, and eventually I got invited to academic conferences, and I continued to write on some of these similarities, and um, you know was often loved and hated. <laughs> there was um, there's not a lot of in between, and yeah. I understand. What was the name of your second book then? So it's called the Kyrgyz Kalpak. Okay. And the Kalpak is the name of the hat. All right. And then you go on to your third book. Where did that come from and what's the name of it? So my third book is really interesting. And this is something that's probably come to define me in Kyrgyzstan more than any other. And this is probably the one that in Kyrgyzstan I'm most well known for. Uh, I I was actually doing agriculture in the mountains. That was, And uh, I've been hired by a few different organizations to go up and find out what was going on in some of the high mountain villages and i i started a seed project i i got i had a friend in new mexico who got seeds from idaho up the high mountain valleys of idaho and we tried them up in the high mountain valleys of kyrgyzstan and and we had 90 percent success rate which is which is huge i was working with 10 farmers at the time and um and three of them just stood out as exceptional and one of those three was a man who didn't drink, worked hard. He he kind of had a he had a good reputation in the village, and he really adopted me as um, his thirteenth child. <laughs> I was an adult. I was already twenty eight, twenty nine years old at that mm-hmm. time. But but age wise, I actually was fifth in the line of his of his kids. So they continued to call me the thirteenth because I came last. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it was really wonderful. So I was living up there and able to get um, be an insider in in, in this community, um, learn their culture, you know, kill the sheep, do the sacrifices with them, the prayers, weep at the graves with them, and um, be a part of the weddings and the births and everything, the circumcisions that take place in that in that culture and and. Um, and as I watched and learned, I just realized, wow, there are so many similarities to the ancient Hebrews. Again, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, just so many similarities. And and I'll give one really odd um, similarity. It's like um, the Kyrgyz, when, or let me just say, Jacob the prophet Jacob from scripture in the book of Genesis, he wrestles with an angel at one point. 
and he's he holds on to the angel until the, the angel blesses him and the angel says let me go and jacob says no not until you bless me and and finally um the angel blesses him actually changes his name from jacob to israel so that's where we get the name israel to this day and mm-hmm. israel means one who who um wrestles with god and overcomes and and then um the you know jacob i guess still didn't let him go and the angel touches his hip and he becomes lame and and then it um it says for this reason the children of israel don't eat the tendon on the hip to this day and and the caregivers will eat everything on the sheep when they kill a when they kill a lamb. They eat things that I can't digest. I started drinking vodka when I was in Kyrgyzstan because I couldn't digest. I needed the extra help to digest some of the things I was eating. But they don't eat this one this one muscle, this one tendon on the on the hips hip of the sheep. And I've asked them several times, like, why don't you eat this? You eat everything. Why not this? And they're like, no, we can never give this to a guest. We can never serve it. Never eat it. And I'm like, why not? Well, it's always been this way. It's what my father's taught me. And so it's you've got this really strange thing written in, in the script, in the good book. And then you, and then 2,000 years later, the characters are doing the, the same thing, or actually 3,000 years later, doing the same thing. And it's just odd. And and um, so I, saw, I started making a collection of these type of similarities. And my, my list went from 20 to 50 to 70. And when it got to 70, I started asking God, okay, God, there was a time where the Kyrgyz had to have crossed paths with the Hebrews. And I looked at this, I was looking at Kyrgyz history and examining again the script, the different tribes that lived with the Hebrews. So you had the Edomites and the Ammonites and the Hittites and all these different people. And I looked at them and I couldn't find any good you know, academic scholastic type of material there. And and uh, I kept asking God. Another year passed. My list went from 70 to 120, and um, it was just you know more and more confirmations that they'd been there. And then I was up in the high mountains. Uh, I was drinking fermented horse milk in a yurt, and the shepherds the shepherds started telling me the story of their hero, whose name is Manas. He's kind of their their great legendary hero. They have epics, and they'll sing these these um these songs for days about about him and some of his feats and what they've done what he did and how he's born how he got married and and as i was listening to him tell the story i was like wow this is really similar to david at this section because he was a shepherd boy who killed a giant and became king and his best friend was the son of the king who wanted to kill him so again in in the script in the uh, good book. You've got um, David's best friend Jonathan is the son of Saul, who was the king who wanted to kill David. So, mm-hmm. so th- there are these patterns that were fitting. All the names were different, but the patterns were the same. And some of them were so specific that I didn't feel like they could be typical archetypes. And um, and so, you know, I just I, again, I just kept listening to the story. And then there's the story where it sounded like, um, like, like. Rebecca and Isaac were they got they got married and when he was late and she couldn't have children and they prayed and um, Manasseh's mother was barren couldn't have children I, I, you know just listening again to all these stories and and then the shepherd stopped telling me the story and he said do you know the name of Manasseh's father and I said no and he leaned forward and he said Jacob and when he said Jacob I thought Jacob. Mm-hmm. 
And I went back to the good book. I read Genesis. And like the one place where I hadn't looked for the place where the Kyrgyz could have had some sort of connection with with the Israelites, the Hebrews, ancient Hebrews, was within the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of the 12 tribes is the tribe of Manasseh. And in Kyrgyz language, you don't have a, a male name that ends with a, a, a soft sound. So Manasseh would become Manas. And their right. hero is Manas, the son of Jacob or Jacob. And, um, and if you look, again, if you looked at the script, um, Manasseh is not actually the son of Jacob. He's the grandson because you've got Jacob and then you've got Joseph. And Joseph goes to Egypt and he has two sons in Egypt. And one of them is Manasseh. The older is Manasseh. But the, the, um, in the script, Jacob goes to Joseph and he um, adopts the two sons of Joseph as his own. He goes to Joseph and he says, these two sons that were born to you in Egypt are now my sons, and they're going to be called by my name, just as my other sons, Reuben and Simeon, are called by my name. And then, Joseph, then Jacob says to Joseph, any other children you have after this are your children. So, so the biblical Manasseh becomes the son of Jacob. And the Kyrgyz have that same tradition to this day, where a grandfather will adopt his first grandchild, and make his first grandchild his own son, and then as all all his other grandchildren are are the children of you know their their parents. Hmm. So well, that's interesting. It's amazing. It's amazing, Eric. Some of the things over there, I just uh, it was absolutely it was like a like a, a puzzle that just kept unfolding and unfolding. So, and there's a lot there to unpack as well, but it sounds like. Behind each book, there's a long story. So we still have two more books to get through here. <laughs> <laughs> so what? let's go to the fourth book. because, And then we can touch a little bit on all of them as well at when we wrap up. But okay. what was the fourth book that you ended up going to after that? Okay, so then I really got a, a reputation in Kyrgyzstan. And I presented the third book was actually a... Um, a collection of essays, academic essays, that I presented over probably five or six years in Kyrgyzstan. And um, and then I got, kind of got a reputation for that. I, I actually wrote more than five books because a number of them weren't translated into English. So I'm trying right. to think, okay. Um, but um, um, I wrote after that, I wrote a screenplay and um, it was really fun to write enjoyed it. Few people that read it really enjoyed it. But I had a friend who was a movie producer over there and he couldn't he couldn't pitch it to anyone because he said he said this isn't Muslim enough for me to pitch it to Muslims because you've got good and mad, bad Muslims in it. And then it's not mm -hmm. Jewish enough for me to pitch it to to the Jewish community because you've got good and bad Jews in it. And it's not Christian enough for me to pitch to the the um, Christian community. So he 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 depended on finances and financial supporters, mm -hmm. sponsors for his um, work, and he couldn't find anything. He said, "You're just falling into this little niche." And and um, and I wrote, you know, I had um, people that were adherents of Tengadism in in the story too. Um, so I I loved writing that. Totally enjoyed it. Um, 
I, I don't know if I'm too sensitive at this point, but you know, there's a time where I, I uh, put it down and picked it up again and uh, started reading it and kind of felt a little teary-eyed at one point and I'm thinking, wait, this is fiction and I, I wrote the whole thing. <laughs> and yet well, I got a little teary-eyed at my own characters or something. So um, yeah, but um, that was my, probably my fourth in the English department of my English books and then the last one. Um, uh, but one thing that was helpful about writing that actually, um, after I moved back to the US, I met um, uh, two Koreans who wanted to write a movie about Kyrgyzstan. And because I had a script under my belt, they um, brought me on board and helped. And, and I was, so I was a co-author on, on a movie that was produced in, in Kyrgyzstan and, and screened. So that was, that was fun. Oh, that's interesting. As they say, you never know where things like these will lead you. It's, it's really interesting, yeah. And it was a really fascinating project. So now we come to your fifth book. And I'm assuming this is Coming Home? Yes. Come so, home. Come Home, yes. I don't know why I keep saying Coming Home. <laughs> come Home. So on Come Home, this is the one I'm actually familiar with since you sent it to me and I've been reading. Right. Like I said, I've gone through the first three chapters and... If I can get my daughter to take enough naps and my kid to let me read <laughs> right. long enough. Yeah. So with those factors, I'm working on getting through it. But it seems interesting so far of what I've read about it. Now, with this, you seem to tie in a lot of different things going to the Lost Tribe, right. go, going which you mentioned earlier, right. going to the different traditions and this and that. What what got you writing this book here? Because it sounds like you're here in the States when you wrote right. it. Right. So I don't know if you can pick up from from the conversation we've had already, but I um I how do I say this? I wasn't sponsored by any organizations. So I had the freedom to just walk with God as faithfully as I felt like I could. You know, I I had my failings and my selfishness and my greed at, at times too. And mm -hmm. um, definitely felt, you know, I'm not I don't want to let me just say this, I guess. I, I while I was over there, I really kind of had a theology that mm -hmm. developed, I believe, from the script and um, and the context that it developed in was in Kyrgyzstan. And some of my biggest opponents were not just this loud minority that I talked about already, but um, were actually Christian missionaries that were living over there or people that were um, being salaried by Christian missionaries. And um, so Come Home, the book Come Home is actually about, it's trying to put all my kind of my theology and my experiences into one package. And, and that includes the, the Lost Tribe. So yes, I believe that the Kyrgyz, or at least an element within Kyrgyz culture, are from, from the tribe of Manasseh. And there's a whole history 
that I knew nothing about. It's actually pretty popular within Judaism, and I'm not Jewish. I didn't know about it. Most Christians don't have any um, inkling what it is, but it's it's a really big topic in in Scripture. Uh, that again, for some reason, like Christians have a blind spot to it, but it's pretty well thought out and discussed in 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 Judaism. And uh, there, what happened was King David had a united um, confederation, really, of twelve tribes, and that that uh, was passed on to his son Solomon, who was mm-hmm. supposedly the wisest man who ever lived. And then after Solomon, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took over the 12 tribes king, and he made a statement that just caused 10 of the tribes to break away. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work you and tax you as hard as my father, even harder. And these 12 tribes are like, well, then we don't have any part with of you. House of David. So even though this Rehoboam was the grandson of David, he still they called the called it the House of David. And so these ten tribes in the north just broke away. And to this day, um, so actually, what you see happen in the script after that is that the southern tribes are called Judah, and that's where we get what we know as today's Jews from these southern tribes, and the northern tribes really are called Israel after that time, or Jacob, or Joseph, because they're often considered the descendants of Joseph. Um, sometimes they're called Ephraim by one of Joseph's sons. So so um, if you look closely and read, read script with attention to some of these names, you, you really start to see the distinction more and more. And after I had that experience that I told you about on the mountain with my um, fermented horse milk and, the, and Jacob, I came back and I really felt like I was reading a, a, a new book. It's a book that I'd read dozens and dozens, dozens of times. And I came back to the book after that experience and I felt like I was um, verses that were just stood out in a completely different light than they had before. So, um, so I'm try- I, I've been trying in the, to work with why is this important? Why were these tribes lost? Why? God got mad at them and said he's going to scatter them to the ends of the earth, all to all nations. And and then at the end of times, there's going to be they're going to, he's going to bring them back to the land. And again, that's standard um, Jewish theology and, and Judaism. Actually, they pray for those tribes to return. And Jews often believe that Messiah won't come until all the tribes return. So there's there's a lot of. Uh, rabbis that are out there looking how to bring back these, how to find and bring back these tribes so that Moshiach, um, uh, the Jewish name for for the Messiah, can can come. And um, it's really interesting. I've met some of these these wonderful Jewish rabbis who are out there looking. Some of them have talked with me and tried to understand more. Um, and, and they have added, a number of these have, have quietly added Kyrgyz to the list of of lost tribes of, of Israel. All right. Now, I know one thing that you mentioned in the book, that at least that I caught so far, was you also related the American, one of the American Indian tribes, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And the gentleman you showed in Im- this image of an American Indian or <laughs> Native American, whatever the proper term is, right. when you showed him that image, 
he swore that he was actually one of his people right and not from another continent right and you kind of brought up the question of could they also be part of the lost tribe right right so um in the early part of america's history there was actually a time when many of the um settlers the the whites coming into america looked at the native americans and believed that they were from the tribes of israel and um, I can't remember all the names of the of the authors from that time. James Adair is one that stands out. But Thomas Jefferson also got caught up in this conversation and was starting to to wonder. And and they some of the reasons why they they did that is because um, the the way their priestly uh, their priests are formed. Their uh, I think we might call them shamans or something. But some of the ceremonies. There's a breastplate. That's very similar to the breastplate that Aaron wore in the script, and um, and then there's also the name Yah. So Yah is a Hebrew name for God, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that there's some uh, you know Native American chants that would go Yah Yah and that Yahweh is is like the holy holy name of of God in, in Hebrew, and so. Um, so that discussion really was starting in the 1600s and 1700s, and then it kind of died down. But one of the offshoots of that is actually Mormonism. Mormonism is a is a religion that kind of really believes that the um, the Native Americans were from from one of the tribes of Israel. And I don't know too much about Mormonism, but I do know that aspect, and I have talked about Mormons on this topic. But my friend was Navajo, so. Mm-hmm. Um, again, these settlers were seeing tribes that were on the eastern side of the U.S. And my friend um, is Navajo. He came over and presented an academic paper in Kyrgyzstan. And um, and the Kyrgyz absolutely loved him because they felt like their long-lost brother had returned. They have in their epic, the epic of Manas, they tell they have ambassadors that go to Hungary and to Iran and to the other side of the Himalayas. And all those ambassadors come back, but there were some ambassadors that went to the deep and those ambassadors never came back. So a lot of these um, Kyrgyz scholars believe that the the ambassadors that went to the deep and never came back were Native Americans. All right. And and again, like I, um, the Kyrgyz people can distinguish um, just from a photo, they can distinguish a Kyrgyz from a Kazakh, and and for most people, it'd be impossible to to distinguish the two. But they can. They just you know little differences in cheekbone or um, or what. And and I took a picture of a Navajo and and showed some of my Kyrgyz friends, and they they're like, no, this guy is Kyrgyz. He's not Kazakh. He's he's Kyrgyz. And I said, no, he's Navajo. And um, there's another. There's kind of the Mongolian spot in the back that mm-hmm. are you familiar with that? It's a little blue spot that a lot of babies are born with. No, no. Okay, it's it's uh, it kind of goes from Central Asia through Siberia. Japanese often have it, and then um, comes down into a lot of uh, America's native populations. And it's just this really interesting genetic marker that exists and. Um, it goes all, you know, you find it down in Peru and among the Navajo, 
my uh, my my boys are both adopted from Kyrgyzstan, and yeah, my son just had this <laughs> really big one that lasted a couple of years. And, well, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. So, well, what I mean to kind of tie it all together, it sounds like everything you've written is based around the Kyrgyzstan people, the religion, things like that. Right. With all that going on, you seem to find a lot of comparison between Christianity and the, a bit of the different symbolisms that you saw while you were there. Do you feel like in your books explains how there is a strong connection and tie to all these religions and going back to the lost tribes, going back to where the house of David, I guess you could say, or those stories where they originated that the Kyrgyzstans, the Israelites and Christian Jews are all tied together then? Yeah. Let me, um, first of all, say good question. I, I, first of all, let me say that I'm not a promoter of Christianity at all. Right. At all. Um, I, I, there's a lot of things about Christianity that really, really bother me. And again, like some of those who opposed me the most were, were Christians in that country. Having said that, I think there's a lot of good in Christianity too. But we just had like, like I, I am hosting this small little thing. We call it the Lost Tribes Cafe. And we just had the last two meetings. We talked about Messianic Shintoism. So Messianic Judaism are these Jews who believe that Yeshua, Jesus, is the Messiah, but they don't want to have anything to do with Christianity because they're Jews, and Christianity is just a completely different culture. It's not their religion. It's not their their traditions. They have these beautiful symbolic traditions like the Passover, which point again beautifully to to the Messiah and and Yeshua's sacrifice, and and so so they don't they don't convert to Christianity. And now what we're seeing is um, in Kyrgyzstan we have these. Isa Muslims, so they're Muslims who believe in Jesus, and they don't want to have anything to do with Christianity, but they love the script, and they love the Messiah, and they call him Isa Messih, because that's the Arabic name for, for Jesus the Messiah. And now what we're seeing is in, in Shintoism in Japan, there's a messianic Shinto movement. So these are people who believe that Shintoism came from the ancient Israelites as they came to Japan, and there's an author, I think his name was Joseph Elderberg, who believes that these ancient Israelites passed through Kyrgyzstan en route to, to Japan. He wrote a book and then on the on the topic. So they look at they look at the original Shintoism as a kind of a Hebrew type or, or a biblical, and they say that a biblical type of um, belief system and they don't believe they need to change it they do they do believe they need to purify it because it had been up until the 8th, 8th century it had been a monotheistic faith and then it became a polytheistic so they're trying to you know work out things okay we have a character who's very similar to isaac and we change that character into a god but instead of him being a god he's actually a ancestor and should be um, you know, honored as an ancestor, but not worshipped as a god. So they're working out some of those things. But, but they believe that um, Isa or um, Yesu 
or if you go even further back to the ancient, ancient origins of Shintoism, they call them Uzamasa. So they're just trying to figure out, you know, again, how um, they're just coming back to to him and trying to, to purify Shintoism. So, yeah, it's absolutely amazing for me, Eric, seeing how, how all nations and all religions do seem to tie back into this amazing script that is our planet's um, I, I would just, I'm going to call it Our Planet Script, you know, and again, it's, it's the most controversial book on, on our planet, and there's a lot of places where it's been banned, but it's a powerful, powerful book, and I think it goes way beyond Christianity and, and, and Judaism. I think it's reaching into all cultures, all nations. Well, I can believe that very much, so, and I agree with you on there's good and bad of every religion. Yeah. Religion, well... To me, the organized side of things kind of muddy it all up, but but real religion tends to have a good base behind it. And it sounds like you found the thread that links a lot of everything together, which makes me now really want to try to get through Come Home. Mm-hmm. So I can see that thread a little clearer. clearer. Yeah. So I don't want to take up all your time today. And I might just have you come back on again for us to have more of a discussion about this. Okay. Yeah. Because, like I said, it seems like there's a whole lot more to unpack in there. Yeah. But right now, if people want to find you, they can go to authorblurb.com where I have all your links that you've given me. There's your bio there. Right. There's everything I have, which there's going to be a link to in the show notes. Where do you prefer people to go find you? You know, right now I'm not. I don't have a big social presence. Um, I do a little bit on Facebook um, when I just have a thought that I want to throw out there. But really, the only the only place to really find me is uh, on Amazon's author page, and you can find find me there. We are doing these Lost Tribe Cafe meetings, and if people are interested in joining that, I can give you my email for that and and um, people could hook up and link on that it's just a casual conversation with people that are doing stuff <laughs> that's lost tribes related well it sounds good yeah if you can send me that link i'll include it in the sh- or your email for that i'll include it in the show notes so okay. people can reach out to you about it because i'm sure people are going to want to know more about it as well so besides getting your books they can reach out and talk to you a bit more so with that being said I really do appreciate you being here. Like I said, we could easily talk much more, it seems like. But I'm going to end it now for everybody else. If you can hold on for me for just a moment, I'm going to talk to you a bit more. Okay, great. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you for making it this far. Remember, you can go to authorblurb.com where there's plenty of stuff there for you to find. Enjoy another author. Enjoy finding that book that you love. So take the time, do me a favor, share, subscribe, enjoy the show, and tell others. Thank you.